It's another edition of Talking Foosball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I am your host, Matt Herman, and this week, we're just trying to keep up with all the goals. As you may know, the Bundesliga has been the highest scoring league in the Big Five in recent years, and Match Day 2 was doing all it could to keep that reputation alive. With me this week to help track all the big blowouts, the seesaw battles, is Terry DeFallon. You like a good tickle in the net area, don't you, Terry? Who doesn't enjoy a little bit of stimulation around the onion bags? (laughs) (laughs) No one. (laughs) You're you're not human if you don't. No one in their right mind. (laughs) So we've got a lot to talk about this week, mostly goals. We're going to be talking about who's knocking them in, who's keeping them out, and who was able to bloody watch them in the first place, as our man Terry and perhaps many of you have learned over the past couple of weeks of TV frustration in Britain. Welcome to part one of Talking Foosball Direct. This is our new, faster, compact format. We try to get at you a little bit sooner after the end of the match day. We're always trying out new things here on Talking Foosball. I mean, we are an incredibly long-running Bundesliga podcast. We've been at it. I think this is, you know, our ninth or tenth season at the coalface. So, you know, we do have to change things up from time to time. We are adding more content. I hope you like what we do because... I don't know. We don't know how to stop. We're going to start the show as we do with with a few, the couple, three, maybe, matches of the week that that most catch our eye. We might call them the big ones. I think the big one that really kind of most surprised me, maybe, which was the hiding that uh, Bayer Leverkusen handed out to Borussia Mönchengladbach. These are two teams who are coming off of draws in week one. Very different in that uh, Leverkusen was coming off of a draw, you know, in Berlin against Erste FC Union Berlin, which is a well-regarded but not necessarily dominant team, whereas uh, Gladbach had held mighty Bayern Munich in their first match of the season. So I I think we probably thought this was going to be a game at more or less level pegging. It was not by any way, shape, or form. And in fact, the hero of Gladbach's week one draw with Bayern Munich, which is, uh, you know, Jan Zomar, just kind of <laughs> had a bit of a howler, didn't he, Terry? Yeah, it was tough luck on Jan Zomer because, I mean, he's he's had a stellar few months, hasn't he? I mean, he's a stellar goalkeeper who's had an amazing few months, an amazing Euros. And yeah, I mean, he, he had a standout performance to open the season against Bayern Munich and then, yeah, got kind of, well, I don't know, how do you put that? Maybe put a series of brain farts or what have you to let his teammates down. It seems harsh to say it, but you know, you, you, that's all you can really say. And with 2-0 down in such a short, it's so, it so early in the game, you know, Leverkusen, you know, a team like that clearly don't need, you know, any more incentive to just go on and take control of this match and and if this is how Leverkusen are going to play this season then uh, I think you know Bundesliga fans are in for a massive treat because it was a quintessential Bundesliga performance to my mind it was like energy and pace you know lots of running up and down (laughs) lots to you to use tactical parlance really exciting um, fast-paced style to it and having been given that that boost they just took full advantage we've seen other teams actually 
take a foot off the gas, try and consolidate first. But Leverkusen paid Gladbach the respect of saying, oh, you can't let these guys back in for a second. They're too good. And they just kept at it. And it was a, you know, it was a thoroughly enjoyable, entertaining game and a very convincing performance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was a game they were 2-0 up inside of 10 minutes. There were very few phases of this game where it looked like Gladbach were going to give them a serious run for their money. I was really interested in, you know, kind of how well this new Leverkusen team is coming together. A mixture of actual new faces, and by that I mean two of the guys in their defense, which is Odilon Kosunu as well as Mitchell Bakker. These are two purchases from the summer that, you know, both came from France, one from somewhat higher pedigree than the other, but, you know, I think both were, were pretty highly touted. They look good to me. And truthfully, some of the guys who, who Leverkusen have had around for some time, but had not quite either gotten healthy in the case of Exequiel Palacios, or had kind of flattered to deceive in the past, guys like Paulinho. He's coming off of a, a gold medal in the Olympics. Palacios is finally at 100%. They both looked great. Patrick Schick, of course, you know, we saw him over the summer. Speaking of, of, you know, heroes of the Euros, he looked great. I feel like the stars are aligning for Leverkusen. I, I know that the stars have aligned for that club many times in the past, including the first half of last season before they fell off a cliff, but I'm happy for them at the moment. Uh, yeah, it is important to not get too carried away with this because this is by Leverkusen that we are discussing and we know what they're capable of doing to themselves but they certainly made a pretty bold opening statement it's worth bearing in mind obviously that they had a different kind of performance a different kind of game the week before against Union Berlin and that was a far more well-matched encounter so we have to sort of like look at those two examples and and see which one is the true Bayer Leverkusen but if they're going to put in performances like this even periodically throughout the season although Leverkusen fans will want them to be more consistent. But for us, they're going to be a real treat. I think that we can also look forward to what we hope is a really strong partnership between Diaby and Schick. I think that Diaby has been a standout performer in the two games that we've that we've seen Leverkusen play. But I also think that Schick got his goal that he deserved to, today, but played extremely well in the last game as well. And I remember doing a preview podcast for The Sound of Football, my other podcast, before the Czech Republic, and saying, look, if, if Patrick Schick can remember that he's a really good player, then the Czechs will have a good Euros. And he did. Uh, and, and you know, if he's bringing a little bit of that confidence and that buoyancy into his domestic form, then that's all good for Leverkusen for the future. What do we think about that penalty, though? That was pretty high. Could he have walked, do you think, for that, if you remember that incident? It's it's a clearly a foul. I mean, I think, he's, I think his foot is a, it's not very high, but it's, his studs are showing, I think. And I thought that perhaps somewhere, somewhere else or maybe in another time that might have been a red. But he was a penalty, so maybe there was a degree of double jeopardy involved in there. I was just looking at that and I thought, well, he maybe he was a little bit lucky only to have got a red card there. But I don't know whether or not the double jeopardy rule takes effect or, or not. But uh, but I thought that that was a, a tricky moment. Yeah. What minute did that take place? I mean, they were already 2-0 up at that point. Yeah, I, right? yeah that's true. So it was Lars Stindl who saved the penalty on the 43rd minute. Yeah, I mean, it was probably not the best penalty that Mark Larshtindl's ever taken, but it was a good save from Radeski. And I wonder whether or not perhaps if they got themselves back into the game, Gladbach, that that might have altered the complexion somewhat. But I don't know. 
Leverkusen were pretty, pretty convincing throughout that. But you just wonder whether or not Leverkusen, if they get a setback, you know, are they, you know, mentally strong enough to be able to, you know, keep pushing ahead? Do they, you know, do, do, what, what happens if you give them a bit of a bloody nose if you score against them? Yeah, and, and that experience kind of turned into a real downer for Gladbach, not only in the fact that it gave Lukas Radetzky maybe an extra <laughs> bit of uh, confidence boost saving the penalty uh, as he did, but also the fact that uh, the Stefan Leiner basically was off after that moment and now appears to have uh, basically broken his ankle. Probably won't play for, I don't know, a couple of months at this stage. Yeah, it was a, wasn't a great challenge, I don't think. But I agree with you in general. I think, yeah, Baka had a, had a, had a good game and is, and is a great addition to that squad. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to echo your praise for Musa Diaby. I feel like kind of the rap on him over the last couple of seasons is that, you know, he's obviously a really skilled technical player. He's very quick. But um, his, his, the quality of his passing and the quality of his decision-making in and around the penalty area was pretty questionable. And the evidence, at least from the first couple of games, is that maybe he's made some improvements in that area. And that could make him a very, very dangerous player indeed. Ah, you know, I mean, pretty notably uh, during the broadcast. And, you know, I was having to watch this broadcast, like, you know, on headphones at the, the, the Pittsburgh airport as I was – in the midst of a very, very long flight delay. So there were definitely some moments where I was either watching with closed caption subtitles or, you know, not being able to pay full attention, but did catch Lutz Fahnenstiel, who was the color commentator in that game, mentioning that Gladbach left back Joe Scali, who we praised to the skies in the first game, got taken to the cleaners by Musa Diaby, which he, I think that's, I think that's a fair, thing to say, although Musa Diaby takes a lot of people to the cleaners. He's probably got one of those frequent cleaners cards that he gets stamped, you know, every time he does that and he's, he gets a lot of free free shirts cleaned over the course of a Bundesliga season. But speaking of, of the TV broadcast, it was a real milestone for the Bundesliga. It was only the second time that they were on terrestrial broadcast TV in the U.S. I think they really had a, a very A broadcast team with uh, Lutz Fahnenstiel and, and Derek Ray. I mean, I really like those two guys. They're, they're, they're cool people. I, I think they do good work as broadcasters. I felt like, you know, a high scoring game was a good advertisement for the league. And I think clearly that was the intention. I mean, ESPN has, has gotten the rights to the Bundesliga a couple of years ago. Hasn't done that much with them, but maybe wants to maybe get some people through the door buying, you know, subscriptions for this, you know, before the college football season starts and they don't want to put Bundesliga on that, that broadcast window anymore. They did a very similar thing with La Liga. They showed a game on on ABC last week. But, you know, it's it seems like a good thing for the league to get that exposure. But, you know, I understand that, that you and the rest of the UK are in a very, very different world when it comes to the comprehensiveness or, you know, even the just the availability of the Bundesliga, right? Yeah, the rights have gone to another company. They were from 2013 up to last season, they were on BT Sport. For US listeners who don't know what BT BT Sport are, they're a premium sports broadcasting service in the UK. And with the exception of the conference stuff, the 2.30 kickoffs or 3.30 local kickoffs on Saturday, which are blocked by embargo, 
they showed all the games. They would show them on the, the Friday, the Top Spiel, and the two Sunday games without fail. Even if they had a full schedule with other stuff that they wanted to fill, they would find room for it on their red button service. And, and you know, it was all good. So having for years beforehand, having to kind of scuff around looking for streams, because like the previous broadcasters ESPN and Satanta had been fairly you know, on and off with the scheduling of the Bundesliga BT Sport just like covered it all. It's now gone to Sky Sports which is a much much bigger broadcaster here in the UK with a much much bigger audience reach so on the outset we thought well this is quite good for those of us who are interested in watching the league develop in the UK this is good because the audience reach is much better but they're not showing it or that is to say they're only showing on their TV channels two games per week one on the Friday game and either the top spiel or maybe the, a game like like this week they did the top spiel, I think, which they have to do. And then they did the Bayern Cologne game on, on Sunday. So they kind of move it around. Initially, we thought, well, what, what's going on? You're not showing these games. And then it transpired that they are showing them, but they're showing them on an app, a Sky Sports app, which you can install and then you can watch it on your phone or your tablet. And also it's got a URL. So if you get the URL and you move it across to your laptop, you can then watch it on your laptop and paste it into a browser. All fine, all legal and free, absolutely free. So which is worth pointing out that they are basically giving away two games a weekend for free. But there's, for my mind, there's free and there's free. One, you can't watch this on your big screen without going through a fair amount of gymnastics. You have to figure out how to cast it to your TV if you've got the right equipment, if you've got you know, a Chrome browser and then a Chromecast or a Samsung cast or what have you, and not everybody does, and frankly, it's a bit of a ball lake to do, but it's not the end of the world. So there's two ways of looking at it. You could say, well, uh, they are giving away all this stuff for free, there's the, but they're not really making it easy for you to watch, and it's not terribly convenient, and it suggests that they're not really massively sold on the idea of having these rights to begin with. I mean, they're literally, they have 10 channels, two of which are, are, are dedicated football channels. And I, I've been watching streams on their free service on the website, on a laptop, when on Sky Sports Football, they've been showing reruns of old EFL football matches or like some Gary Neville podcast. You know, it's like, you know, well, okay, if you want to give the rights away for free, if you want to show free games, be my guest. But I mean, you've literally got space in your schedule to show these live games that you have just bought the rights for and you're not showing them. And that says to me that they're not enthusiastic rights holders. And this, it's been suggested by uh, someone quite close to me who works or worked in the sports broadcasting industry suggested that Sky don't have a very high opinion of them, but the Sky's owners wanted to get them because they already have the rights for Italy and for Germany and then wanted to complete the set by getting the UK, which presumably means it would then help them in negotiations for rights in more lucrative markets in the future, particularly in Germany, obviously in the domestic market, and that they presented these rights <laughs> to the editorial team at Sky Sports and said, on you go, lads. And they've gone, well, you know, we think the Bundesliga is a farmer's league and, you know, we don't, we don't want to show it. <laughs> so, and I don't know. I mean, I, that, I, that's a pure speculation on my part. Right. But, but based upon the degree of understanding of the, of the industry. Uh, the final thing that's worth pointing out, of course, <laughs> is, I mean, I'm sure Sky probably have, a con have it in their contract that they do have to VPN block those streams. But of course, they, they do, you know, stream them out in the clear. Then they do then have to spend the extra time and money making certain that their VPN blocking is up to date 
on these things, which requires, which, you know, to be honest with you, they'd just be better off showing it on their linear channels. But yeah, so it's a bit discouraging and it makes it difficult to watch the league where it used to be not so difficult. Now, many of you are probably thinking, ha, first world problems, but you know, you know, we are Bundesliga fans used to a certain service and you know this is a Bundesliga podcast so I think we're entitled to have a bit of a moan and just think about what this might mean in terms of you know the internationalization of the Bundesliga and for those of us who, who take an interest in such things. Yeah it's, it's interesting to me I mean at least in the United States almost all international football has moved to the world of apps. I mean just as so much TV of, of all kinds has moved to the world of apps. I mean the Bundesliga it was a special thing that they were on ABC. It's actually a fairly special thing when they're even on ESPN or ESPN2 channels. I mean, most of the games, other than maybe one a week or sometimes none a week, depending on how things are going, are on the app and only on the app. I mean, the one nice thing is the, the app is committed to showing all the games. So even if it's during the block of time where you have five games running simultaneously, you can choose the one you want. I'm not completely against that. Partly just because I think the apps are, are, are the future of television. But I really feel like the Bundesliga being run the way that it is with, you know, having a sort of full service television production team as they do, you know, Sportcast and the folks in Cologne, many of whom we know who do those broadcasts. Why don't they just do start their own dang <laughs> international app and have a global Bundesliga TV app and, you know, be done with all this gymnastics. I guess, I guess they like to sell their product for money and make money off of it. But, you know, I think it can't be too long down the line before a lot of these leagues just take the plunge and, and, and take care of that stuff themselves. I think if you look at the success that La Liga TV is having, I think that we're moving closer and closer to that. I feel certain that there will be a Bundesliga TV app at some point. I should just stress that when I talk about the Sky Sports app, the, the difference with this app is it's only available through mobile devices. And so you have to go through gymnastics to be able to watch it on your screen or, or even to watch it on a laptop. It takes a, a bit, a little bit of doing. There's a, there's a few clicks and, and stuff. And, you know, Sky Sports justified this by saying that we're trying to open it up to a bigger market by making it available for free. But I don't believe that because they're doing very little to publicize it. Although that said, they are making the Friday game available on Sky Sports Mix, which is a linear channel and is their free channel. So maybe they're responding to a degree of pressure. My little corner of Twitter is quite active and there's been a number of people who have complained to Sky directly. And fair play to them because that's how you do it. I mean, if you're a paying customer, you complain (laughs) and you're entitled to a response and they they got a response. So we'll we'll see what happens there. But what worries me for for the future is that if Sky over in the UK don't take care of this market. It's small enough as it is, bluntly, that if they don't care of it, there'll be not much left for when the DFL finally decide to launch their own app in the UK. But, um, I mean, yeah, I'm, I suspect what will happen is is that in a few years' time, the Bundesliga will probably, maybe even in the third year of the four-year deal, they will launch an app that will sit on the Sky Q and the Virgin Media ecosystem and then move across over into the... Comcast ecosystem and ESPN Plus in the same way that the Liga TV app and and we'll get that and then you'll get Sky, BT, Virgin, ESPN, whoever showing maybe one, showcasing money, maybe one or two games per week and then, you know, but if you want the full service, you pay for the app. But of course, that app will be fully serviced across multi-platforms. You'll have no brother and as long as you're willing to pay the subscription fee, you'll have complete access and probably also on-demand access. And for me, 
I really hope that it happens, and I hope it happens in the next few years. Oh, yeah, man. ESPN Plus, please do get in touch if, if you'd like us to keep talking about you. It's good and it's cheap. So it's a nice thing to have all your Bundesliga in one place for not very much money. And a lot more besides. I understand ESPN Plus will at some point be coming across to the UK as well. So there's all of these things to consider as well. So that's, that's the direction of travel things are going in. And uh, yeah, it is exciting. It's just right now it's quite frustrating. But we have to move on from it because otherwise... You just end up every week getting angry, and absolutely, absolutely. This we're like a, a media criticism podcast. Exactly. But yeah. Let's let's talk about one of these games that you had to jump through a few hoops to take in on Friday night. This was another blowout game that you know I, I guess from reputation from you know last year's places in the league it shouldn't have been a super big shock but considering how last week had gone for both of these sides which is to say Stuttgart had you know come out like a house on fire against Fürth and uh, Leipzig were you know a little indifferent in week one they got a 4-0 win over Stuttgart. This was also a very, very emphatic result that seemed, you know, richly deserved. What, what did you make of this result? Yeah, I, mean, I thought it was pretty even to start with, but I think that Leipzig had the better of the game because they were the home side. I think they had a point to prove after the disappointment from the last week. I think there was a little bit of additional pressure on this because, you know, Jesse Marsh is, you know, new to the Bundesliga. There are undercurrents, perhaps, of a degree of chauvinism about U.S. coaches. In, oh, you in, think? You in, think? <laughs> I think in general. I think that I think there's still a very, very old-fashioned notions about about U.S. coaches, and I, maybe there was a little an element of what if he game. what if he calls a, a penalty kick a PK? What will happen then? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, know, I think Ted Lasso is 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 both helping to undermine those preconceptions and at the same time reinforce them. But I mean, it, the fact also it was a it was the two U.S. coaches as well uh, meeting in a senior league, and 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 so there was that sense of occasion for it. Yeah, and the fact that you know it's Leipzig as well, and a, a lot of people just including myself, frankly, don't like Leipzig. And so there was a bit of additional pressure going into this game, which is odd, given that it was only the second game of the season. But I thought that Leipzig eased themselves into this nicely and, and you know, won the game quite comfortably in the end. It didn't really flatter them. You can see that XG was 3.1 to Stuttgart's 1.2. But the game was, I think, blessed by two... Well, you know, I mean, four goals of, well, three goals of tremendous quality, but the two from Dominic Zoboslai. I'm certain that the second goal was intended to be a cross, but really, who cares? That cross was so good that it beat everybody, everyone. And I mean, it may well be an accidental goal, so to speak, but uh, who cares? And I mean, it was just such a beautiful delivery. And the first goal, his first goal was just oozed class I mean such a languid shot I mean like so loose I mean how could you look so relaxed and yet it be of such conviction and such purpose it was a thing of beauty it was a work of art I mean and we mustn't forget Forsberg's gold as well because also partnering else it, it got Andre Silva in the goal making business which is what he's there for and of course he rounded it off with his penalty goal but getting an assist there as well is going to help hugely for Leipzig and this massively kick-started their season I think and any doubts that there are I think about Leipzig in general and their project for this season could be put to bed I mean we can have conversations about their title credentials another time but it certainly was and a bit of a wake-up call for Stuttgart as well who we thought 
were awesome. Maybe they're not quite so awesome. Maybe Furt really are quite terrible. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, and we'll get to Furt later on in, in the show. But Stuttgart, they're going to be tested by teams with the sort of caliber of attack and, you know, sort of comprehensive, you know, game idea uh, like like Leipzig do. I can only second what you have to say about Soboslai's goal. I, that, that first goal especially, Languid is a perfect perfect way to describe it. It's one of those goals that like when you watch it, it almost feels like it's in slow-mo. And then when you watch it in slow-mo, it's in super slow-mo. It's like that scene from Austin Powers where the security guard gets run over by the steamroller, which is like rolling towards him very, 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 very slowly from a long, long, long way. And he's powerless to do anything about it. It's like, it's moving so slowly. Why don't you stop that ball from getting it? And nobody could. I mean, it's all optical. And But I mean, it, yeah, it's, it was such a gloriously sedate shot. And no one dared stop it from it fulfilling its destiny. It was, it was a wonderful thing and it made me very happy. And I'm sure obviously because, you know, Soboslai's injury history being what it is, you know, it's his first Bundesliga start, I think, wasn't it? And it's fitting reward for what must have been a very, very difficult year or so for the guy. Yep. I think, you know, sometimes it, it becomes, I don't know, sometimes it feels like a cliche to talk about those hidden transfers of players who who came in a while back but basically were either injured or or you know sort of indisposed in one way or another but now they're really getting their chance to to put the stamp on things. I he's going to be a thriller this dude if if he keeps playing like yeah. this it's yeah. he's going to be one of the stories of the season because you know as you said one of those goals looked like maybe an incidental or or accidental or unintentional goal but man th- <laughs> let's not forget that these were two goals from like more than 20 meters out. Yeah. Both of them. And if there's a guy who can regularly do that, that turns people on. Yeah, Don Tootin. And uh, yeah, I mean, and I mean, people were excited about him when, when he signed, saying that he was the real deal and this is going to be great to watch. And, and, and it was disappointing, obviously, for, you know, not least for him when it didn't. But I mean, props also to Willie Orban and, and Tyler Adams as well, who did an awful lot of, you know, the, the heavy lifting you know, for that team and for that performance as well. I mean, and that, that shouldn't be forgotten because, you know, there's more to it than that. And it was a, a pretty complete performance by Leipzig. And, uh, and yeah, any, any nerves, I think, about the new coach and any new direction need to be, you know, settled completely when Leipzig are going to have a good season. Nice. Okay, moving on now to another game that was even more, more rich in goals, although, you know, was, was a little less definitive in terms of, of who was going to win up until, you know, the last phase of it. Pretty weird game, actually. <laughs> Bayern versus Cologne. It was basically the last game of the match day, I think, on paper, you know, a home match for the record champions versus Cologne, who just barely slipped the noose in relegation last season, should have been another candidate for 4-0. I remember after the goalless first half when Bayern came out of the, the locker room and got two goals, I thought to myself, hmm, maybe we'll have three 4-0s to talk about on Talking Foosball. You know, wouldn't that be elegant? But actually, Cologne had something much more interesting in mind, which is to say they were going to score two goals of their own within 10 minutes and really make this a game. How did you enjoy this? What did you make of, of Cologne's sort of furious fight back? 
Well, it was a weird game because it was a sort of subdued atmosphere, wasn't it? Because they had the minute silence for the minutes appreciation for 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 Geb Muller, and sure. it was pissing with rain. And the, and and it, I mean, it, the fans are back in the stadium, but I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know whether or not there were enough of the hardcore fans to add any heat and atmosphere to it. It just genuinely contributed to a somewhat subdued atmosphere. I've got to be honest, I, I, I got called away during this game for about 10 minutes. <laughs> and in that time, critical ten minutes, back, huh? it, was, it was, it was, it was one nil. And then when I came back, it was three, two, I had to use some ingenuity to go back and, 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 and rewatch the game using methods. I won't, I won't fully explain to the, but I have my ways. Uh, you all, you all know the URLs. Yeah, because um, I thought, well, what on earth happened to here? And what happened here was Mark Oots happened here. Uh, Bayern, they just can't handle the Oots, can they? I defy their oot handling abilities. But you've also got to just take your hat off to a guy like Anthony Modeste. I mean, like you know, the hallmark of a classic number nine is to be able to just find that bit of space between the two centre-halves, and actually it was quite a bit of space, but to, to, to always lose one of those two centre-halves, especially when, you know, they're as, as wily and as clever as those Bayern centre-halves, particularly Sulu, who's an absolutely amazing footballer. I just loved that guy. Just sort of like just at that right moment to be able to find the ball and just put it in the back of the net. It is classic number nine behaviour. And it's good to see because he's a very much in the veteran stage now of his career, isn't he? Is modest. And you just, you did, I bet he would have, he would have absolutely loved that one. But Oots, Oots finish was also really cute and a good transition first time crosses into the box. What, just what you want to see. Proper football that and really good. And it, Put the, a rocket up by, and I don't think that they were really at it in the first half. I don't think they were fully fully engaged with the with the game for one reason or another, and needed a bit of a rocket up there. I don't know quite what this says about Bayern, to be honest with you, because as I said again, I think it was because it was a difficult occasion. But my sense from Bayern is that they're taking a little bit of time to get wound up for this season. Maybe the coach is taking a little bit more time to get settled in. That said, two games, four points, unbeaten. That's not too bad a start, really. There are other teams with worse records. Yeah, I, th- I really think they're feeling their way into this. I, I think that Nagelsmann doesn't really know what his best team is. He doesn't know what his best formation is. He doesn't quite have a lot of things figured out. And I think that we all know what Bayern are to the Bundesliga. I mean, they they <laughs> they stand astride the Bundesliga as, as a colossus. They understand that feeling their way into the season is something that they can generally afford to do. I mean, they're already ensconced in exactly the region of the table that they want to see themselves another week or two. They'll probably be in pole position, which is what they most like to see from themselves. But I'm not too worried about them, despite the fact that they basically allowed Cologne to hang around in this game a lot longer than than many of us would have expected, or, or perhaps they maybe even deserved. I guess we can put the first half of Talking Foosball Direct to bed and, and come back and talk about the rest of the matches in quick hits. All right, this is part two of Talking Foosball Direct. It's coming fast and furious in the quick hits. First, we got uh, Bochum. They got their first Bundesliga win in you know, a good decade after they took down Mainz 05 at the Ruhestadion. 
certainly made their faithful fans pretty happy. Uh, Garrett Holtmann and Sebastian Polter scored on either side of halftime. Nearly was a 3-0 win, though, uh, you know, the goal that would have made it 2-0 in the first half got uh, uh, VAR'd away for a handball. I'm very pleased to see Bochum get off the mark. How about you? Yeah, we expressed our affection for Bochum in the preview podcast, and it's uh, it's great to to see Bochum getting off the mark with a win. I think there is a feeling that Bochum can do this; they can put it off this season, and um, and it's it's good to see. A little puzzling about Mainz. I'd like to get a little more into that at some point. Be good to see what happened there, because you know after last week's results, you thought, yep. Mites are going to be good as well this season, and then this happens. I'm sure that listeners are going, are they going to mention the goal? Are they going to mention the goal? Um, but of course we're going to mention the goal, listeners. I mean, we, we all saw it with our eyes. We had no difficulty seeing that goal. Garrett Holtman, of course, with, as they say in England, an early contender for goal of the season. Yep, yep. You know, when you take the ball for a good long way, and then you put it in the net, it's something people like. Yeah, it is. We all know. I mean, you know, the professional response to that is to kick him up in the air <laughs> and take the yellow card. But, you know, mine's fair play to them. They they could see that there was artistry at work here and said, no, we're going to let this play this one out and see what happens. And sure enough, it was a, it was a beautiful goal. Yeah, they didn't want to disturb the magic. All right, let's turn our attention to the other promoted side this season, the one who, who had a much rougher sort of betting in the first week of uh, Bundesliga action last week. That was Greta Fürth. And in fact, we got one Nick Wildhagen here to poke his head through the door to talk about their matchup with Arminia Bielefeld, which was a 1-1 draw. Karotovic against Arminia Bielefeld was certainly the least sexy fixture on the roster of matches for this match day, but it actually produced some decent action. If you look a little bit closer, there were actually some stories worth mentioning. First of all, Greuter were in danger of becoming the first Bundesliga side not winning any of their last 18 Bundesliga matches at home, so they didn't win any of their first 17 matches during their last and only campaign in the first tier. On the other hand side of the pitch awaited Amenia, a side which definitely was eager to get a win, as they are now facing a strenuous run of matches against Eintracht Frankfurt, Borussia Mönchengladbach, Hoffenheim, Union and Bayer Leverkusen. Unsurprisingly, the first 45 minutes of action saw Die Federer having most of the possession, but not producing an awful lot of chances. Dixon Abiyama, a player who featured in the 7th division only three years ago, was the most lively player on the pitch, but when his big chance finally arrived after 43 minutes, he scuffed his finish as he was running alone towards Stefan Ortega in the Arminia goal. At the other end, Fabian Klose converted a cross, which he actually had it directly towards keeper Sascha Burkert, Burkert, who fumbled the ball across his own line. A penalty early on in the second half meant that skipper Branimir Hegota could level the score for the Cloverleafs, and things looked bright when Alessandro Schöpf was sent off for his second bookable offence of the afternoon. The Austrian brought his teammates into this uncomfortable position of having to play with only 10 men after a tactical foul in the 68th minute. Prior to that, he actually was booked for needlessly kicking the ball away in the 54th minute. So really, a silly, silly 
second yellow card offence by the Austrian, which meant the stars were seemingly aligning for Fürth as the chances of securing the first ever home win in the Bundesliga had never been better. However, despite chances coming thick and fast after Arminia Bielefeld was reduced to 10 men, none of them were taken. And here, I think, lies the problem for Greuther Fürth. The ruthlessness needed in front of goal in the Bundesliga wasn't there, and additionally, Stefan Ortega wasn't really troubled by anything Stefan Leitl's side managed to produce, despite a flurry of chances. Grosse's defense looked a lot better than they did against VfB Stuttgart, which might be a positive thing. It might have to do with the fact that Stefan Leitl once again switched back to back four, uh, as last weekend's experiment with the back three against VfB Stuttgart really didn't yield any positive results. But despite that, one can still see that there are problems at the back for Greuterfurt. Firstly, there's goalkeeper Sascha Borchert, who seems a little bit out of his depth at this level. In addition to him fumbling the ball over his own line, which really looked unfortunate, there's also the fact that he isn't great with the ball at his feet. A team like Greuterfurt is probably likely to pass the ball back to the goalkeeper more regularly than other sides, which means that Borchert's feed work needs to improve if he doesn't want to lose possession for his team needlessly on too many occasions. And add to that, that whenever Armenia was actually able to, you know, speed up the game a little in the first half, it looked like Greuterfurt started to struggle, which is not a good sign for the rest of the season. All in all, this match did little in convincing me that Greuter are not going to be cannon fodder for most other teams in the league. For Bielefeld, it was a disappointing result, given that they needed those three points because of their demanding schedule going forward. Both teams, it seems, are in for a tough season and it will be exciting to see if Greuter can indeed get their first ever home win in the Bundesliga. All right. Excellent, excellent stuff from Mr. Wildhagen there, as always. I guess we can probably now talk about uh, what I thought was a pretty intriguing matchup from the weekend in terms of the two teams who probably occupy a pretty similar spot in the Bundesliga pecking order these days, which is uh, Hoffenheim and uh, FC Union Berlin. You know, there was a bit of a sort of changing momentum situation in this game. Union went ahead early but surrendered that lead before halftime. And in the second half, with his team down 2-1, Taiwo Awani came to the rescue. Really lively game, this one, actually. Uh, one that I think really could have gone either way up until the final whistle. Maybe even more so toward Union. There was a very, very nice save from Oliver Baumann on a, a, a Max Cruza volley that could have turned the tables completely toward Union, but Oliver Baumann, good goalkeeper. Any observations early on from these two sides? I mean, you know, Union, but it looks increasingly likely that they are going to have a UEFA Europa Conference League campaign to contend with. They get a big 4-0 away win in Finland at midweek. Yeah, I think from the Union point of view, it's looking very favourable that they are going to be kicking on still further this season. They're not going to necessarily going to stagnate. We will see what happens when the English Avoca come in thick and fast for them because they are, will not be as a club used to that. It's been a very long time since they've had to contend with that kind of scheduling. So we will see, but they will probably have banks on the fact that this is going to happen. They took the Europa Conference League very seriously. They obviously want to be in it and they're clearly set up a squad to be able to do that. I think they'll manage, hopefully they'll manage that challenge. Union look like they have improved 
from last season. And that is great because it, it's not always easy for, you know, relatively newly promoted sides or teams that are not used to being Bundesliga or not traditionally first division clubs, you know, continuing that momentum after a couple of seasons. They're moving forward. And Taiwo Oeni and Max Kruse, again, we were talking about partnerships at Leverkusen, there's looking like the beginnings of a very, very beautiful and special relationship between those teams. And I just think the thing that I, that's so gratifying about Union is, is that, you know, their first season up, they were really utilitarian and really workmanlike um, and ultimately successful. And then they got interesting last season, good to watch. And this season, they look like they're even they're they're even going to be even more watchable and even more entertaining. And it's it's really gratifying. I don't have much of an opinion about TSG at this point. I didn't really watch much of the their first game, but they've got to be happy with their start to the season. They certainly look like a team that's got goals in them, and there's going to be well, they've demonstrably got goals in them, and it's going to be a they're going to be a lot of fun to watch as well. So yeah, this was a really enjoyable game to watch. That one that wouldn't necessarily show up on your coupon as being necessarily a, a classic, but it was. Agreed. Okay, so Union, their cross-town rivals, Hertha BSC, they also took a lead in their home match against Wolfsburg, but once again, they got turned over and they lost. This time it was a 2-1 loss. Their keeper, Alexander Schwolo, looked a little shaky on the Wolves' first goal, I thought, letting in a hard but probably saveable shot from uh, Reed Labaku at the near post. Yeah, Hertha, they're just squandering a whole lot of opportunities at the moment. Um, there are people, you know, the people who count expected goals. They also have various ways of counting expected points, you know, prob- goal, you know, win probabilities depending on the margin of expected goals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In that Hertha were a- ahead in both of their games on expected goals, <laughs> they actually would have, according to the, the, the expected goal heads, should be second in the league mm. um, in terms of expected points. But uh, instead, they are rock bottom on zero points. So there's a lot of cleaning up to do for them. They are heading to Bayern next weekend. Stars are not aligning uh, for Hertha at the moment. Yeah, no, I don't have a great deal more to add to that, Matt. So I probably won't say anymore. But yeah, I mean, you know, the expected goals there just above mid table. I think that they've been a little bit unlucky, maybe. I have faith that this team is is decent and will find its way through. But yeah, I mean, it is, it's going to be another tough season for Hertha, I'm afraid. And, yeah, um, yeah, it'll be yeah. interesting to see what happens with uh, Mateo Cunha's maybe, maybe not move to Atletico Madrid. That seems to be a, a saga that's dragged on for the last week or week and a half. I, I suspect it will come to a close with him moving on, but uh, I guess it's just a, a matter of cost at this moment. Okay, we can talk briefly now about Freiburg and Dortmund. That's is uh, another team that, you know, just has a penchant for uh, head-scratching losses on match day two. This time, they went down to Freiburg and they uh, lost 2-1. Vincenzo Grifo, big-time direct free-kick goal just six minutes into this one. And, you know, Freiburg were able to hold on despite uh, notching uh, a goal at the wrong end that um, went into Dortmund's account. What, what did you make of this uh, result? Well, this is a, a, a perfect example of when you've got one team that is absolutely superbly organised and balanced and one squad that's still finding its way. 
you could probably make an argument that Dortmund, well, Dortmund have got the, the, the better paid players, let's be honest, but there's no question that the better team won this. It's a classic odd case of playing at home, but you're only playing with 23%. Freiburg knew exactly what they needed to do. Dortmund had all this possession, but you look at the touches, like the, the players with the most touches in the Dortmund side were the defenders because you, you spent an awful lot of this game watching the defenders back for passing it between themselves, trying to figure out a way through the Freiburg defence and the Freiburg setup. So it was an absolutely classic counter-attacking win for Freiburg, thoroughly deserved. Not much more that we can say about that. If I'd managed to watch all of this game, I might have made an argument for bumping this up and into our top three because it's a, it's, it's a notable win. But I think you also have to respect the fact that Freiburg are a really properly bloody good football team. And actually, this is not as major shock as maybe some people from who don't watch the Bundesliga that much might think. Yep, yep. Freiburg were, you know, pretty good last year. And I'm afraid they're uh, quite good this year. All right. The only game we haven't talked about so far was Eintracht Frankfurt and FC Augsburg. Nobody scored in that game. So that's uh, a great way for us to not talk about your game on talking football. I mean, if the results keep going against these two teams as the season progresses, maybe we'll have a a case to make for, uh, you know, somebody in crisis storyline. But at the moment, You guys just bored us. Goodbye. <laughs> well, I mean, they didn't, they didn't bore me. I didn't want it. I was watching Hertha and, and Wolfsburg, to be honest. That, exactly. I was actually I, I was actually out at a, at a non-league game in because uh, wherever possible, I try and go and watch live football. Uh, and so I was out. And, uh, so I didn't watch any of those games. And so, yes, it didn't trouble me at all, this match. But yeah, I think you're right. I think there's an Eintracht Frankfurt crisis special looming. Maybe it's something that Nick can, can look at. Maybe get one of our noted listeners or patrons who are in heavily engaged with Eintracht. Oh, yes. I've got some folks in mind already. Mm. I just hope for their sake that, that it doesn't come to that, that yeah. Eintracht avert a crisis with a, a good result before too long. All right, that is it for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Great to get back at it with you, Terry. Always a pleasure to be back on it with you, Matt. It's been a fantastic opening couple of weeks, and uh, early season, it's just such a happy time. I know. I'm, the heart just continues to, to, to flutter, flutter, flutter. You can follow Terry on Twitter at Terry DeFellin. If you want to contact me, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman over there. Do subscribe to the pod wherever you get your pods. Leave us a rating. Tell your friends. It is a big help. People can find us that way and we can sort of uh, build a better community around this place. And if you, uh, you really love us, you can head on over to patreon.com and take advantage of some bonus material that we've been posting over there, including our uh, recent Soccernomics series, which uh, hopefully you'll really enjoy. Talking Football Extra will be coming up in a few days. Nick Wildhagen at the helm. He has a special guest coming in and uh, Talking Football Fantasy with uh, James Thurgood and Flo Reinecke. They are back in action at the end of the week, so set you up for match day three. Anyway, this is Jim Nixon Mullion. 